It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. The only thing necessary for evil to prevail that good men and women do nothing. I am simply a mouthpiece for good people from around the world who want to make a difference. Engagement and the involvement of ordinary people is what is going to change our criminal justice system. Many have tried and failed. The only difference between them and me is I'm bringing an army with me. This is Truth and Justice. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. In this week's episode, we're going to bridge the gap between George Powell's 2009 conviction of the armed robbery of the 7-Eleven in Killeen, Texas, to his current post-conviction relief hearings. After George's conviction, he was left with a 28-year sentence and no resources to help fight his wrongful conviction. So how did we get from that point to where his case stands today? With all of the power of the Innocence Project of Texas, and the Truth and Justice Army behind him, fighting to overturn his wrongful conviction. The answer to that question comes from a criminal justice student from Canada. Her name is Tamara Parsons. After writing an unsolicited letter to George Powell, Tamara eventually became George's saving grace. As we look back to George's conviction, you'll remember that there were four elements to the state's case against him. One of those elements was the testimony of jailhouse snitch Mr. Smith. As we heard in last week's episode and this week's Friday follow-up, that leg of the state's case has now been cut out from underneath them. At this point, all they have left was Melissa Keene's photo lineup identification of George Powell that was reconciled by the testimony of Mr. Michael Knox a supposed photogrammetry expert who claimed that after his analysis, he was certain that the robber could not have been any shorter than six foot one inches tall. That, of course, was in direct conflict with Melissa Keene's written statement where she said the robber was only five foot six. Even though Melissa Keene's identification of Powell directly conflicted with her written statement, the state was able to reconcile that identification with the photogrammetry testimony. Now that Mr. Smith's affidavit and his recorded interview where he recanted his testimony has been taken off the table for the state, the balance of their case rests simply in Michael Knox's testimony. And in today's episode, we're going to learn how Knox's analysis and his testimony were finally called into question.
We're going to take our one and only break here to hear from our new sponsor, and then we're going to hear directly from the source, directly from George Powell's saving grace, his fiance, Tamara Parsons. you know who my favorite person in the world to read a story to is? It's me. That's right. That is my six-year-old Parker. And he and I are both really excited to tell you about our brand new sponsor, Wonderbly. My favorite thing is when Daddy reads me a book before bedtime. That's right. And we just got a brand new book, didn't we? Yep. And who was this book all about? It's all about me and Daddy at Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. One of our favorite things to do together is to read a book before bedtime. And last night, we read Parker's My Golden Ticket book that we got from Wonderbly.com. Wonderbly offers one-of-a-kind personalized products that can be made by you in minutes. They're made by you for your child. The book literally doesn't even exist until you press the button. They make wonderful gifts for Christmas, baby showers, birthdays, or just because. And they have a variety of titles to choose from, so you can find a book suitable for your children from 0 to 9 years old. All of their books are wonderfully written and filled with hand-drawn illustrations, making them a true keepsake. And you can check out the entire range of personalized books at Wonderbly.com. And the book we chose was My Golden Ticket. And Parker, who were the characters in your My Golden Ticket book? Me and Daddy. It's a new personalized book fresh from Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. Now any child can be Charlie. Personalization includes your own chocolate bar with ingredients inspired by the letters of your name, found in never-explored rooms of the chocolate factory. At Wonderbly.com, you can personalize books like Lost My Name that's from 0 to 8-year-olds, the Birthday Thief book for 3 to 8-year-olds, or the My Golden Ticket book. All you have to do is go to Wonderbly.com, that's Wonderbly, W-O-N-D-E-R-B-L-Y.com and enter your little one's name for a full free preview of their story. Then all you have to do is enter code TRUTH at checkout and they're going to give you 15% off your order. That's Wonderbly.com and use our code TRUTH at checkout for 15% off of your order. Go to Wonderbly.com today. That's right, Wonderbly.com. Do it today. And your kid's going to love your book. Okay, well, I have on the line with me today a very special individual in George Powell's life, and that is his fiance, Miss Tamara Parsons. So thank you so much, Tamara, for taking the time to do this interview with us today. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. And the first question people have, and, and believe it or not, you're not the first, you guys are not the first case where we've come across this, and not even the first one recently, where someone is in a relationship, in your case, engaged to a man who is in prison. So the first thing I want to do is kind of, for, in order for people to kind of get to know you and who you are and how you got involved in the case, I'd like for you to, if you would like to, tell your story about how you met George, how you got to the point where you got involved in the case, and then we'll kind of go on from there. Okay, so back in 2012, I was uh, finishing up my associate's degree in criminal justice, and part of uh, our, I guess, a project was um, on recidivism. And I decided that being a pen pal for inmates that were serving long sentences 
might make an impact, a positive impact on them. So I went to, believe it or not, writeaprisoner.com. Okay. And I, <laughs> I picked out um, four men that were, you know, going through their long sentences and just decided to start writing them. And uh, George's case actually stood out the most to me. Uh, not only was he the most respectful and, uh, you know, interested in my life and not what I could do for him, but also knowing that he had this special case of this wrongful conviction and being the criminal justice student that I was, I actually wanted to have a look at it and see what I thought from an unbiased situation. And so basically I got all his trial documents. Uh, his father sent them to me and I took a look through them um, probably the first month or so that I started writing him. And it was just a platonic relationship at the first, at first. And we just talked about his case and, you know, I tried to do what I could from there, obviously from Canada, it's a, a lot different than uh, being in the United States. So, you know, it was a, a slower process, but, uh, as we started writing about five or six months later, you know, we started to develop feelings for each other and you know how the rest goes. <laughs> right. <sure. laughs> and then uh, from there, I, I was already in the process of doing a, a green card to come down here. Uh, my daughter's husband, or sorry, my daughter's father was uh, American. Mm -hmm. And when he passed away, I ended up getting a widow's green card uh, through that. Okay. So I came down to visit his, uh, my daughter's family. And decided to go down to Texas and visit George after about, I guess it was nine months after meeting him and went to Texas and never looked back. <laughs> and here I am to this day, four years later. So you went down so, to visit him and you ended up moving to Texas. Yeah, it's actually been, today will be four years exactly that I came to Huntsville, Texas. Oh, wow. And that's, yeah. uh, that's quite a change from Canada to Texas. No more winter. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no more winter, and uh, now I have to say soda instead of pop. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, another couple of years in that, that Canadian accent will blend with the Texas accent. You'll have something really unique. Yeah, I, I do say y'all now. <laughs> y'all A, I will, right? I, I will say y'all. Yeah, I don't say A as much. <laughs> well, that's yeah. awesome. And I know from, from speaking to George, I mean, he just he just thinks the world of you. And, and you have not only impacted George's life uh, because of the, the romantic relationship you guys have developed, um, mm -hmm. but, but you've actually, once you guys got to know each other, it's my understanding that you just tackled his case head on. And the, and the reason that George now is in, in the midst of his post-conviction relief hearings is a big part and due to the help that you brought to him. Uh, so I'd, also, I'd like to talk about that. Like, how did you go from... Once you start reading trial transcripts, if you could just walk us through from there all the way to where sure. we're at now. Okay, so like when I came down to visit my daughter's family, that was the first day I sat in my hotel, and it was the first time that George and I had an opportunity to talk on the phone because you, Texas, you can't call international. So this was the first time that we had here and now phone conversations, and he began listing off people that he wanted me to call. And I was going through the uh, transcripts, trying to get documents and anything I could relating to his case. Um, I contacted uh, his attorney from the um, Coriel County trial that was dropped. I spoke to the um, investigator from his 7-Eleven case. And I called anybody and everybody that I could from my hotel for that week that I was there. And from there, when I went to Texas, 
and he actually suggested why don't I contact the Forensic Science Commission and I called them every day for about three weeks straight until I talked to the head person um, which was Lynn Garcia and she told me to send in my complaint right to the Forensic Science Commission mm -hmm. And that was um, on February 7th, 2014 is actually when I filed the complaint with the commission. And I just told them that there was some issues about the integrity and reliability of the um, analysis done by uh, Knox and Associates. And I told them that, you know, this was uh, something that they might not have seen before because it was video evidence. And I clearly saw an issue with his report. And even... The limited amount of legal knowledge that I have, I mean, it's it's more than the layperson, but it's not, you know, lawyer status. Mm -hmm. But I could see that there were big discrepancies, not only in his testimony and what he was saying in his testimony, but also in his report. And I could tell that this needed to be seen by the Forensic Science Commission. And that's why I pushed so hard for them. I listened to every single um, meeting that they had. I watched them online as they were live streaming. Uh, as soon as they were over, I called the people in charge. I asked them, you know, what are you going to do? I convinced them to keep going with this case. You know, I think that they were on the fence about some things. And I think it was me, you know, talking with them every day and stressing to them that although they couldn't tell me that he was innocent or not, I knew that they could start getting their foot in the door. And that's that was what it was. And actually how that started how we even got the, our foot in the door was in December of 2013, myself and George's father, George Powell Sr., got together. I convinced him to give George a shot, and we hired um, Herbert Joe and Associates, which is um, Janowitz um, and Joe, and they're actually voice experts, and they also do video analysis and height identification. Mm -hmm. So they were supposed they were supposed to um, testify and be experts in his Coriel County robbery uh, that wasn't actually, you know, that didn't go to trial. Right. And so so I called him and we paid an exorbitant amount of money to have this uh, report done. And it was done on December 30th, 2013. And of course, it said what we knew it was going to say was that the robber was between five foot six and five foot eight in that report they also said the voice on that audio recording that was used at trial is without a doubt not george that was the report that we sent in with that complaint to show the discrepancy between knox and uh herbert joe now real quick tamara before we go too much further with that that's one thing that i wanted to ask you about because you know as you know we're kind of learning this case as we go which is not our typical kind of style um mm -hmm. but but there were a lot of questions from the listeners about the audio recording uh, that was yeah. not, now was there was there an audio recording played for Melissa Keene? Yes, she identified the voice as the robber, and the uh, sheriff and the the detectives, as well as the state, throughout the investigation and trial, kept referring to this as George's voice. And was that George's voice that you heard? And at no point did anybody on the defense, like his attorney, say let's let's test that voice out and say if this is actually him or not because you're saying it's him and now they're saying okay well it is his voice so yes that's george and in no way we've got an expert saying that that is not george's voice and if that's the case then melissa Keene has identified someone other than george as a robber not as well as the other people in the other 
other victims that listened to the, the recording. The recording that was played for Melissa Keene was actually, they had George actually say some words to play for Melissa Keene. Is that right? No, no. What okay. they did was they, they only played the recording from the Valero, which was the second robbery. Okay. And in that, in that robbery is the one that um, Victoria Noola and Sherry Rose pointed George out in the lineup and said, that is not him. We know him. He is too tall. And okay. that's the voice that they use with the other witnesses and the victims. The only time that they got George's voice saying those words is when Herbert Joe did his own analysis. And he went and visited George at the um, TDC and took his sample. And that's what he compared with the sample from the robbery. And just as a quick summary for, for the listeners, uh, the Forensic Science Commission, Texas has... Uh, what's called it's referred to as their junk science law. They're one of the few states yes. in the nation that has that, and that's their yes. primary responsibility, right? Is to make is a test out uh, and to evaluate whether scientific evidence that was used in trial is in fact scientific and 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 holds up. Is that correct? Yes, um, their investigative jurisdiction uh, is to investigate. I'm actually going to read it quote from their report: is to investigate in a timely manner any allegation of professional negligence or professional misconduct that would substantially affect the integrity of the results of a forensic analysis conducted by an accredited laboratory facility or entity. And the important thing about that is that video evidence and height identification and photogrammetry and all everything here is not accredited in Texas. In fact, I don't even know if it's accredited in any state in, in the United States, but definitely in Texas, it's not accredited. So that's why they were on the fence about taking this case in the beginning. Okay. was because they didn't have any standards. And I kept telling them that this is a precedent-setting case because it involves video evidence with an expert that was using junk science. Uh, ultimately, did they end up evaluating the evidence? Oh, absolutely. And they had a 200-and-something page report that they did. And the basis of it is getting Fredericks, Grant Fredericks as their expert, independent expert, to determine whether Michael Knox's report had the integrity or not. And they determined that he did not. The Forensic Science Commission determined that? Yes. They don't determine guilt or innocence, but they did determine that Michael Knox had some issues with his report and, and his, his science. And then from there, they don't, you know, they can't overturn a conviction, right? But you can take that no. information back to the trial court then. No, they don't have any, um, they actually cannot be called as witnesses in trials. They don't have any jurisdiction. They don't have any, basically their report can't be used in, in a court of law, but Grant Fredericks's report can. Okay. His report can be used because he's an independent investigator. And and there's, I know there's a ton of information about Grant Fredericks, but we are actually going to have him on the show next week to, in detail, describe his process of both evaluating Michael Knox's report and the second report, the one that uh, that you had hired, the uh, the second expert, and then mm -hmm. ultimately his own findings. So we'll have him get into detail with that next week. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. 
Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Um, I did want to talk to you about if you go back to when you went down to Texas and you met George and you started making the phone calls, did George, was he represented at that time? Was he working on a habeas claim or where, where was his case at at that point? When I came on, he was still doing his um, appeals regarding the testimony that was stricken from the record when Victoria Noola and Sherry Rose viewed the video together, which was against the witness rule. And because they hadn't actually been under the witness rule or given the witness rule, he contested that that should have been allowed and that the weight of telling a jury that their testimony was tainted changed the outcome of his trial. So at that point, he wasn't into habeas corpus yet. Uh, He was still trying to get the Innocence Project or any Innocence Project, in fact, um, to take his case. And when I first came on, uh, the Innocence Project was on hold because they were waiting for the Coryell County trial to either go through or be dropped. And when it was dropped, that was the same time that the Forensic Science Commission was starting their investigation. And so they held it again. They put it on hold. And they said, let's wait till the um, the outcome of that. And so that took a whole year and a bit until that was the conclusion of that was that they definitely had something to go on. And in the meantime, I combed the um, trial transcripts, the police reports, anything that I could see that needed to be seen. I highlighted all that and I sent it to the Innocence Project while we were waiting. Yeah. And I, I know that this case, Michael Ware is... He seems to be actually very excited about this case to take it in mm-hmm. um, into court. And, and you guys are in the middle of that. And I, I do want to get into that. But before mm-hmm. we do that, can, if we can go back real quickly, because that was one of the questions that people had asked me in our follow up. And I wasn't sure I had the right answer to, but you just touched on it. People wanted mm-hmm. to know why uh, the two witnesses from the Valero who said that could not be George, we know George, why they didn't testify at the trial. And you just touched on that. But can you kind of explain that? Yeah, so they actually, they were uh, the only two defense witnesses that had been put onto the witness list. What happened was uh, the witness rule, basically you're not allowed to talk to anybody uh, about the case. You know, you all leave the the courtroom and you're not allowed to talk about it with other people. Mm -hmm. And at the time when the judge gave the rule, Sherry Rose and Victoria Noola were not present. And they came in afterwards and were not given the rule. And his attorney, as as far as I know, let them watch the video together. And it came out in their testimony that they'd watched it together. And at that time, the um, state objected and asked to strike their testimony from the transcript. And basically, the jury was not allowed to listen to what they had to say. They had to forget that they had listened to the fact that they said it wasn't him. And that testimony is actually on the record, but they can't use it to... 
put the weight on um, his guilt or innocence. The jury wasn't able to consider the it. jury. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, did they also, because I was a little confused by that too. So that happened at trial. Did they also tell the police officers when they were originally shown the police lineup that it wasn't George or did that all happen at trial? No, that happened the moment that um, there was a uh, photo lineup given to Victoria and Ola. As soon as she looked at it, the first thing she did was point at George and said, that's definitely not him. He's too tall. We know him. So that happened when the, the police were showing the photo lineup way before the trial. Yes. yes, way, way before the trial, right? About a month after, I can't remember the exact day that they, they went and saw, saw her. The thing is, uh, Sherry Rose, she testified that the um, photo lineup was also shown to her. And there's no record of that. And as far as uh, Carl Ortiz, who is the uh, lead investigator, he can't remember yes or no whether he saw Sherry Rose. And he said that even if he said that if she had pointed him out as the robber, he would have taken note of it. And the opposite of that, you know, is implied that because she right. didn't point him out, he didn't make a report. So getting back to where we're, we're at now. So after you get involved, you get the Forensic Science Commission involved, you lobby to them. Uh, you have an expert start looking at the audio evidence as well as the video evidence. Uh, the Innocence Project of Texas then picks up the case, and you guys have been fighting ever since, and mm -hmm. that's led you to where you're at now. And so right now, things I've never seen anything quite like this. You know, I, I, I work almost primarily in, in habeas claims, and I've never seen where they're kind of piecemealing a habeas hearing like this. But can you mm -hmm. talk about, I, I guess, first, how things went at the first day of the hearing and then where we're at now? Sure. Uh, so the first day was calling witnesses. Obviously, um, we have the floor. So we called uh, different witnesses, tried to set up, uh, you know, go back over the trial transcripts, go back over testimony. Um, I won't talk too much about it because I know that the witness role is still under, you know, concerns right now. We also had some experts that testified um, to the validity of a photo lineup as opposed to identification at the scene of the robbery, mm -hmm. basically saying that the description given at a robbery uh, while under duress is more accurate than one that is given a month after in a photo lineup. We also had planned on having the jailhouse snitch testify, and we heard his recantation um, on the last episode. We were going to hear that as well as uh, interview him, and he ended up walking off without even a word said. I suspect it's because he wasn't given immunity uh, by the state. And, yeah, it was just a lot of kind of just going back over the transcript, calling some of the detectives up, calling some of the Coriel County, and uh, seeing how they came to the conclusion that a man that was six foot three became a suspect after saying that everyone over six feet had been excluded in their reports. Also, the tattoos were an issue. We brought that up. Um, George actually stood up and showed that he doesn't have tattoos well, and that he's quite tall, you know? Yeah. So let, let's talk about that for a minute, too, because that's something we were just, my producer Mike and I were talking about earlier this week that we, yeah. we need to make sure that we get out. So one of the witnesses specifically stated that the robber had tattoos. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, and she didn't actually just state that he had tattoos. She writes it and draws it on a police statement. On her statement, there's a picture of a man where she's supposed to draw, like, the clothes and, and whatnot. And she actually writes in there, tattoo on the forearm and tattoo on the chest. And also in her statement says that he had a tattoo. 
that was that witness actually and off the top of my head I don't have her name but um, anyway she was actually on the witness list to be called at trial she was added two days before the trial started and George was under the impression that his attorney would investigate that person, right? Right. That's a pretty um, exculpatory uh, statement to make on on the stand, right? Yeah, because to be clear, George has zero tattoos. He does have a tattoo, but it's on his uh, shoulder, and it's just a small little G. It's like it, you wouldn't be able to see it if he was wearing a T-shirt, yeah. even, let alone a, a short sleeves. Yeah, nothing on his chest or his forearms. No. Yeah. Absolutely not. Um, and actually, this is a good good place while we're talking about this uh, for the listeners. Because one one advantage that we have with uh, what we call the Truth and Justice Army, with all these people that have all these mm-hmm. skill sets to help, is after I heard that I was talking to Allison Clayton about it a couple of days ago, and mm-hmm. it, it, she was saying that I, th- I I think it was one of the Mickey's robberies was where she this particular witness said that that he had tattoos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And so she was telling me from that video. It's kind of grainy. Um, I don't know if I can get it. I don't know if it's public record yet. But after she mentioned that, I was looking very closely at the 7-Eleven video. And I don't know if you've ever done this. But when looking closely at that video, which is one of the one of the color videos, and it's on our, you can go to the Truth and Justice podcast uh, YouTube channel and watch the videos. But he's wearing like a, I guess what would be called a, a wife beater shirt underneath mm-hmm. a button down shirt. And it's unbuttoned really mm-hmm. low. And it looked mm-hmm. to me in that video that on the right side, just right of center on his chest, you can see a tattoo sticking out from underneath the, the tank top underneath. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah. I have looked very closely, and I thought the same, and then I also thought that it might just be a shadow, mm-hmm. and I wasn't sure. Um, like you said, it's grainy. It's hard to – you can't really zoom into it without it the pixelation just distorting it too much. Mm-hmm. But I was looking for that as well because i knew that you know if it was in fact the same robber from the other robberies that he would have tattoos and and i did notice that and i wasn't sure if it was a shadow or i was just trying to see something that wasn't there because i really wanted it to be there but by all means if you if you see it you know and other people see it then i maybe i'm i'm second guessing myself well what i what i and i kind of thought the same thing is you know am i looking for something that's not there but i i thought i clearly saw it in a couple of those angles i asked mike without telling him where and he looked mm-hmm. at it and he said, oh, yeah, over the, the right side of the chest right there sticking out. Mm-hmm. So I guess mm-hmm. what I'm asking for the listeners right now, someone out there listening right now has the equipment, software, and ability to clean up that video. If it's possible to be done, there's someone out here mm-hmm. listening that can do it. And so if you're that person and you're listening, shoot me an email, call our tip line, send it to theories of truth and justice pod dot com or, or call us at 269-224-2833. Let us know. We'll get you a file, get you the file, and let you take a crack at this, and see if we can clean that image up and find out one way or another if there is in fact a tattoo on this person's chest. Because that's huge. Because George does not have a tattoo on his chest. You know, he's also you know a foot taller than this guy. But it's just <laughs> one more piece of evidence. And because I, I thought, I thought for sure. And and for all of you listening, go watch that video again on the YouTube channel, and let us know what you think if there's a tattoo there. So getting getting back on track to where we were at. Um, we're done with the, the tattoo thing. Uh, so that first day hearing, you guys ran out of time, and when I talked to George afterwards, he was just kind of in limbo. He didn't know if he yeah. was going back to the prison or if he was going to stay at the county. I'd heard a date of November 9th, uh, and I think right right as we got on the phone tonight, you said that he actually has a hearing tomorrow? Yes, he does. Now, is that's just a, that's just a continuation of, of the previous hearing? 
Yes, it's a, as far as I know, it's a continuation. It's just a little extra time that uh, we got booked to maybe call another witness or two and try to get anything that we could, you know, and I think that it's really going to be continued in November when we have the, the whole day and hopefully we'll have uh, Grant Fredericks there to testify. Right. And that will be November 9th for anybody that can November be down, 9th. Yeah, that can be down yeah. in Bell County. Um, yeah. And as, as far as Grant Fredericks testifying, um, I just Allison just sent me today briefs that were filed by the state. And they are this is not, um, you know, our, our season three case we were working on. We have the conviction integrity unit and a prosecutor that is, is actually seeking justice. In this mm-hmm. case, uh, in Bell County, we seem to have the precise opposite of that. I was I was just appalled reading the the motions that they had filed in response to uh, George's attorney's motions, trying to number one the 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 state or excuse me the George's attorneys are trying to get the judge to compel the state to produce Michael Knox. So that's the original photogrammetry expert that testified mm-hmm. at trial. George's attorneys want to put him on the stand so that they can put him under cross examination. And and for start of the states fighting that right, they don't want to put him on the stand. Yeah, they they don't want the judge to hear a real expert. They they don't want their case to fall apart in front of their eyes. I have a feeling that they're hoping that they can kind of get their way through a written statement because it is video. It's it's very visual, and they're hoping that without Grant Fredericks on the stand, that they can twist and turn it how they want. Because they know that if they see in person and have an expert explaining what they're seeing, that that will be the last nail in the coffin. It'll be over. Yeah, and and after personally speaking to Grant Fredericks today, I think that's 100% accurate. He, in 20 minutes, left me with 100% certainty that he got it right. Yeah, and, and that's the other thing the state is doing. So they they are they're denying. They're trying to fight putting Knox on the stand. But then the other thing is they're trying to stop. George's attorneys from putting Grant Fredericks on the stand, right? Right. Yeah. In the the hearing before the September 3rd, um, a couple of weeks before when it was just a status hearing and they were just kind of going over the affidavits that they had and kind of preparing for this. And the assistant DA, whoever, um, he made a, a little statement about not needing experts in person because he had done trials before or hearings before where they just had the state and the affidavits and that was enough and basically said he doesn't have any constitutional rights to call any witnesses. And there was this big thing about him having constitutional rights and the fact that because George wasn't in a trial and that he was accusing the state of doing something that they didn't have to tell who their witnesses were. They didn't have to give them any, any idea of what they were going to present. And in fact, they didn't have any rights to, bring up witnesses, live witnesses, other than the affidavits. It's so tragic. And, and I, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and get on my soapbox and I'll let you stay off here so you don't get in trouble. <laughs> um, yeah. but, but I, but I'm just so pissed off listening. It drives me. It's been a while since we've had one of these cases with a prosecutor like this, but it's just so frustrating. Their job is to seek justice. There's 200,000 people plus that have already looked at the case and as non-experts can tell you that there's a hundred percent certainty that he's innocent. It's clear they have the wrong man in prison and they have scientific peer reviewed experts to get on the stand to explain why. And instead of allowing that to happen and, and allowing justice to happen and admitting they might've made a mistake, it reminds me of, and I don't know if you're familiar with the case, but the, the case of Carrie Max cook, 
where you know they were able to keep him on death row for over 20 years because mm -hmm. they just kept filing motions to suppress yeah. all of his evidence. Yeah. Um, and you think if you had a strong case that you'd want to hear all the evidence. Right, that it would stand up to any scrutiny. Right. And that's why, you know, as much as they're fighting, they're just digging it deeper and deeper for themselves because the more they fight, the more it looks like they're trying not to, to get caught. It really comes down to they know that they put the wrong man in prison. They know that they probably fabricated a, a case against him. And this is just going to prove it. Not only was it just, it wasn't just a mistake, but I think they knew while they were doing it that it wasn't him, you know? There's no way they couldn't have known. I don't, I don't think yeah. so. Well, hopefully they, the people that um, put these uh, individuals in office down there in Bell County are paying attention to remember this at election time. Um, yeah. I guess is the, the best that we can hope for. And other than that, um, we've, we've got about three weeks left of, of George's case here before we have to move on to our next case. But we will be covering his hearings. We'll be coming back to it. So, Tamara, I would love to, once we have that next hearing and as things move along, uh, touch base with you again. And, and I may also tap you, uh, if you're willing, uh, to come on and kind of help co-host over the phone with us, uh, maybe one, one of our Friday follow-up episodes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Because that would be great. Because people are asking us questions, and it's and it's you know it, with our situation, it's like we don't always know all the answers, and mm -hmm. and you clearly know all the answers. So um, we <laughs> <I will>, try. <laughs> <laughs> we will definitely be in touch. Make sure you tell George hello for us tomorrow at the hearing, and and we wish him all the luck in the world. All right, thank you. And I just want to say thank you for taking this on. And my biggest thank you goes out to the Innocence Project, Texas. Mike Ware and Walter Reeves, Patricia Cummings, everybody that works for them, all the students that have come to his hearings and helped on his case and put time and effort and all everything that they've done. We are so, so thankful for that. And, you know, just this opportunity to be able to tell our story is, means a, a million to us. Once Michael Knox's report was sent to the Texas Forensic Science Commission, the truth finally began to shine. The commission employed the expertise of a man named Grant Fredericks to not only evaluate the validity of both of the photogrammetry experts' reports, but also to conduct his own analysis of the videos of the 7-Eleven robbery, and as a true expert in his field, give his opinion as to what the minimum and maximum height of the robber could possibly be next week on Truth and Justice. Truth and Justice is a production of NBI Studios. Executive producer is Mike Bussing, and all music for the show is created by PutThemInASong.com. I want to thank Tate Krupa for designing and creating our logo, and thank you to Chris Brinkley of SylviaConsultants.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website. Thank you to our transcription team, Sarah Mueller, Anna Dindorf, Britta Bliss, and Stephanie McConnell. And also thank you to Desiree Dunn for printing and mailing the transcripts every week. And as always, I want to thank all of you for all of your support. Remember, in the next couple of days, to send your thoughts, theories, ideas, and questions either to theories at truthandjusticepod.com or comment on our Facebook page or the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page, or you can follow us on Twitter at truthjusticepod. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Ruff, and this has been Truth and Justice. <laughs>